Good morning. Hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Come on, you do better than that. Look at them and say, it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single time I take the platform, I try my best to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. Actually, he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. So if you've ever asked the question, what is God like, you don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is the story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. There's a lot of things in the text today that I want to point out. So you're going to want to use that to help anchor you. And so uh, take out your Bible. And then if you forgot your Bible, uh, you can just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get one to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. Take that, read it every single day, because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Three of you think that? Every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's better. Hey, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. And if you're new to the Bible, you can start in the left and turn, or start in the right and turn left. You'll find John much faster. Go two thirds of the way through. You'll see some guys' names Matt, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be in chapter number 10, starting in verse 1. And then I'm going to give you some context from chapter nine. Someone say amen when you're there. Verse one says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Someone say amen to that. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He who is a hired hand is not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolves coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I, I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. This is one you want to underline. So there will be one flock and one 
shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have the authority to pick it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask for your grace that over the next few moments you'll stir us, you'll provoke us, challenge us, shape us and mold us by your word, the words of God that you've left for us that have been going viral for thousands of years. Let us not ignore them. Now let us not look into a mirror and walk away forgetting what we look like, but help us to understand who we are in light of who you are. And we ask all of these things in your name and let everything we say and everything we do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, Amen. This is an interesting passage to preach in our culture right now. And it's kind of interesting as I've, I've looked at this passage and I see some of the rhetoric that kind of goes around. And then even some of the things that I've uh, been taught over the years. Because this passage kind of begins to paint a picture of who Jesus is and who we are. And if you've been in any of these circles where people talk about, um, and, and, and sometimes these are attached to, to new age or reincarnation, but this idea of having a spirit animal. Anybody ever, ever been around people who talk about that? I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a pit bull, uh, short and stocky, and you don't know whether to pet me or watch out, you know? And uh, so, uh, anyways, uh, sometimes we look at passages like this, in this particular time, the idea that, that Jesus. Jesus is shepherd and we are his sheep. And you can wrestle with that. You can like that or you can uh, not and try to argue with that. But let me persuade you that for him to be the good shepherd, you are his sheep. And that's good news. It was a few years ago I was uh, interviewing for this position far before I became lead pastor here, which in, uh, I think two weeks, we celebrate my six years lead pastor here. And, uh, amen. Uh, I'm so thankful for it. And, and, uh, I, uh, before I became lead pastor here, I knew I wasn't going to be a youth pastor. And, and uh, someone recommended me to this guy who had a large church in Southern California. And they were starting a new campus. And they were looking for campus pastors to preach live and, and have conversations, much like what we have, the Lompoc campus and now. And, and so I interviewed for this, uh, this position. I was in a couple rounds of interviews. And, and I just started interviewing them as much as they were interviewing me. I just wanted to know who I was working for. So I started listening to the pastor sermons and make sure that we were on the same page with theology and Bible teaching. I mean, can you imagine if pastoral staff cannot agree? How could the church at large begin to agree? Aren't, aren't you thankful for the pastors around the staff? And, and I'm so thankful for the crew that we have here and the agreement we have uh, and just the camaraderie. I'm so thankful for it. And so I, I wanted to make sure that if I was working for something, someone underneath them, and, and so I was watching all these videos, and I came across this one particular YouTube video. It was well done. And I thought, man, this is awesome. Because let's be honest, uh, quality sometimes lends itself to credibility. 
Amen. Right? Like you see the cover of a book, you see uh, someone in HD, you're like, they must know what they're talking about, but they might not. Uh, just want to point that out, right? Like that's why we have an issue with celebrity, right? We think that they know things that they don't because we've seen them in such beautiful lights or settings. And, and so the, qual- the quality of it sometimes gathers popularity and then it points to credibility. But can I say that oftentimes that's a scaffolding that we have to see through. And so that happens in the church where we want to do our best job to produce the best quality stream that we can. And so that people come across the feeder, they look at it and we use all our gifts and talents and abilities and people who have gifts and we redeem technology for the glory of God. Amen. So I'm not saying anything about quality, but I came across this video of him and, and it was like studio state of the art. And he was standing kind of, it, it, the, the background was kind of blurred, but it had this like silver um, background. And, 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 and at first glance, uh, I really thought I was going to enjoy it. And let me remind you that at first glance, I thought I was going to enjoy it. And he, he stood in, in kind of the middle of this stage set and he looked dead into my soul through YouTube. And, and, and he just began to talk and he told this story. About, he says, you know, I speak all over the country. I said, do tell. And uh, he says, I speak all over the country and I find myself in, in green rooms all over the country. And for those of you who don't know what green rooms are, they're the kind of room off the stage where the band and Pastor Joe hang out. It's gray and it's not that elaborate and uh and, and the, all the couches that are worn out from there end up in there anyways and so uh but some of these greeners at some of these churches around the country i mean they're, they're immaculate this is where they hang out and uh he said i was in the green room with this nationally known speaker he didn't name him, but he said i was in, in with this guy that everybody knows and he was getting ready to go out for his set at the at the conference and and he uh he looked at him and he said, he said, Chris, he says, have you ever wondered why the lion is the king of the jungle? And uh, he said, I thought to myself, you know, I, I never have re- really thought of it. He said, because Chris, think about it. I mean, he's not the strongest in the jungle. And he thought, man, well, he, he, he's right. He's, he's not the strongest. He said, Chris, he's, he's not the fastest either. Chris, why is the lion the king of the jungle? And he said, man, he asked me in the green room. And and I thought, man, I I don't really know. And the speaker spoke up and said, Chris, because he thinks he's the king of the jungle. And I thought, wow. And, And he looked into the camera and said, what are you thinking about yourself today. I mean, are you thinking or are, are you a lion or, or when you don't have all the skills and you know, maybe you're not the biggest, maybe you're not the strong, what you think about yourself is of the utmost importance. Are you going to think about yourself as a lion today? And the clip ended and I thought, oh my gosh, right? That's great. I mean, it's great to think you're a lion unless you're a squirrel, <laughs> right? Right. But that's great, man. Right? Like, I'm a lion. But if you walk out and you're a squirrel, friend, you got to come to the reality that you don't need to be puffing out your chest like you're a lion. I mean, do you, have you ever seen a chihuahua? Right? But like, listen, they think they're big and bad. And if their owners didn't love them, they would cease to exist. Right? Like, let's just be honest. It doesn't matter what you think you are. It matters what you actually are. See, what the Word of God helps us do is 
go beyond what might seem to be inspirational or cunning or maybe tickles my ears to that's right, I, I am a lion. No friend, you are not. Right? And I, I know in this culture, you know, I love the shirts, you know, lions, not sheep, but I'm just tell you, it's not biblical. Anyways, uh, and, and so uh, in, in this particular culture, like, I don't even agree with some of the, the sentiment here, but here's what this passage begins to rub against. The Bible describes there is one lion. His name is Jesus. He's the lion, the tribe of Judah, I like that name for some reason, right? Uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah, there is one lion, and this lion became a lamb. And he would turn the world upside down. And what you expected is not what he did. And because you expected it, it's why many people missed it, because it's what they least expected. And so where we find ourselves in this particular passage is, is Jesus has just done the impossible and he's healed a man who was born blind and it has mesmerized the community except for the religious leaders who do not want that narrative to be propagated. They are willing to ignore solutions. They're willing to ignore miracles. They're willing to ignore good goodness because it does not point people the direction they want to go so they will ignore the truth to propagate their narrative i know it's really hard to imagine a time like that but yeah that's exactly what they do and then they use tactics intimidation tactics they they call the man in they interrogate him about his blind I mean, people are saying it's just a doppelganger it's it's really not him and or maybe he really wasn't born blind and so they bring in his parents and they go to interrogate his parents can you imagine being the parents of this man who's born blind raised with such a handicap and now he has this miracle and you're forced with whether or not you can celebrate it or not you know, it's hard to imagine that because of popularity or because of intimidation, you wouldn't be able to celebrate goodness. And yet, that's what happens. They bring them into the synagogue and they're afraid. They're, the fear of man, the fear of the religious leaders, they already know that if people confess Jesus, they're not going to let them come into the synagogue anymore. Or in other words, if you do not do and say what we want you to do and say, you cannot do what you want to do. Try to imagine a world where people would do that. And yet that's exactly what they do. They say because their entire world revolves around this synagogue, because it revolves around their religious rituals and the things that they're doing, their, their whole world is caught up in it. And yet Jesus is saying things that do not allow us to leave him among all of the religious stuff. And what you see is the transition. This man born blind, when they asked, they said, what do you think about Jesus? And he just healed him. And yet, here's what the man says. He says he's a prophet. He has to be. I don't know any more about him, but he has to be a prophet, one sent by God. And, and in, in this idea, to call him a prophet would mean that he's a good teacher. He's something good. He's not something evil. And then we see the progression of the man. At the end of chapter 9, 
when this man is brought in again and they question him after the parents. The parents say, listen, ask, ask our son. He's of age. I mean, they're not even able to celebrate. They kind of put it on him because they so want to make sure that they still have access, that they're not ostracized socially, that they're not put out from the country club. And so yet they will ignore the miracle and say, we just have to talk to our son. And here's the beautiful thing about this one particular man that Jesus chooses. I mean, he knows he turns into this incredible preacher in the middle of preachers. And he says, really, you're going to ask me again? You forget loss of memory. Do I really have to give you the details over and over? Because you won't accept what is true. And so you try to evade it or you try to ask different questions to get what you want me to say. But listen, this is amazing. And yet you say that he's a sinner. You even say he's a demon. And then you notice that when he coincides with Jesus, they begin to label him. Now this man who has this miracle that God has done in their midst, they say, you're a sinner, and you would try to teach us. Notice that's the same rhetoric that happens at the end of chapter 10 when they are beginning to ask the question, is he a demon? Is he insane? And then they say this, the logic See, liars don't use logic. Liars use labels, friends. That's, that's pretty good preaching, Pastor Sam. Thank you. Uh, right? Liars do not work in logic or in reason. They will ignore logic and reason and, and factual evidence, and they will begin to use labels. Because if I can label you, then I can identify you, and, and then I can quantify you, and, and I can ostracize you. And that lined up way better than I expected, right? Uh, if they can label they can begin to ostracize. So quickly, I don't have to deal with what's actually happening. I'll just say, you're a sinner. You're this. You're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. Do your homework. Do the thing. I can label you rather than actually deal with it. And notice the people who follow Jesus. They say, how's he a demon? How could a demon open the eyes of the blind. That does not make sense. You're, you're contradicting yourself. But this is the conversation that they have at the end of 9 and at the end of 10. It's why C.S. Lewis's argument has been made so popular because it is true for us today as it was for them. You cannot simply categorize Jesus you have to label him, but you better label him correctly. You better identify him correctly. And here's what you cannot do. You cannot simply set him to the side as simply a good teacher or prophet. He does not leave you room for it. So C.S. Lewis made an ancient argument popular. This idea that you only have one of three categories to place Jesus in. He is either a liar. He is a con man. He is wicked. He has deceived people. Or he is a demon or maybe even Satan himself. He is a lunatic. 
And so you have to decide he's either liar, lunatic, or maybe you make the progression that this man does. At first, his eyes are open and he sees him as a good teacher. But then as he begins to think about what has actually happened, he even begins to hear himself preach the words of God to these men. And he forsakes being socially ostracized. I mean, he knows what it's like to be ostracized from the community. He's been a beggar. He's been at his wits end. And so he's willing to forsake popularity that he might understand who Jesus is. What he knows is what you guys are selling, I'm not buying. You label and you lie and you deceive. I know the truth and you're trying to label me. So yes, bar me from the doors. I'll go look for what is truthful. And what actually brings life. So they cast him out of the synagogue. And notice in chapter 9, in verse 35, the end of chapter 9, it says, Jesus heard that they cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? That's the first thing that Jesus asked him. And here's one of the ways that Jesus doesn't leave you room because of the things he said. He answered and said, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. So what's Jesus saying? Jesus does not simply let him leave him in the category of good preacher. He refers, or good teacher, he refers to himself as the son of man. And so if you were a young Jewish boy and you heard the term son of man, which is Jesus's favorite term for himself, maybe you thought that Jesus would use son of God and that would mean uh, that he is indeed God's son or somehow divine. But when you understand the Hebrew scriptures, son of God was another title for humanity. It actually does the opposite of what you think it would do. Son Son of God pointed to his humanity and son of man pointed to his divinity. How? It's from the prophecy in Daniel 7. Daniel 7 tells this story where Daniel sees the ancient of days. And he sees the ancient of days and then one like the son of man. He sees a man-like figure, which is counterintuitive to him because the, the, the Bible says that no man can see God, yet he sees a image. That's why we then refer to Jesus as the image of the invisible. God, or when I open my sermon, I say, if you want to know what God is like, you can look no further than the person of Jesus. Daniel 7 says, I saw one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds, and he was coming to judge the world and make his enemies a footstool. And the Ancient of Days gave all glory and dominion and honor to the Son of Man. When he pointed and said, I am the Son of Man, what he was saying was, I am the Jewish Superman. He's coming. And could you imagine being a young boy who's born in slavery under the rule of the Romans, under the rule of the Persians, the Babylonians, ancient Egypt, our story, our history has always somebody else has been kicking our butts and taking our stuff. And you're telling me that there's one coming on the clouds who's going that everyone will rue the day that they messed with the nation of Israel. I mean, they, they would read this and think that, but yet 
Jesus, through his titles, through his teaching, turns their perception because what they think, what they expect is one coming on the clouds, not born in a manger. What they think is someone who will cause a revolution and yet they will overthrow Caesar. But what Jesus is trying to do is give them a revelation revealed to them. See, the, the book of Revelation is not the story of the end times. It opens and says this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Apocalypse, apocalypto means unveiling, to uncover what is there and Jesus is trying to reveal to them who he is but sometimes we get focused on things and we can't see past our own perspective and we need to be reminded every single week so that we can see clearly is that I don't know everything amen Let's say it together. I don't know everything. You're welcome. We could close and your marriage would get better. Your family would get better. Your community would get better. If you just simply say, I don't know everything. Oh, that's really good. We should say amen to that. Amen. Amen means so be it. I agree with it. And the humility to know that we don't know the whole story. There's more to the story like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And so yet, people were looking for the Son of Man. They were looking for the Messiah. And Jesus comes in a way that's unexpected. He comes as the form of a man. And not even the man's man. Not, not even the one who's head and shoulders above everybody else. Not that I would know what that's like. Oh, that's funny. Uh, but yeah, that's what we expected. That, that's, the, that's what we see with, with, with King Saul and David. We see David as a foreshadowing of Jesus. Do you know that the Bible would tell us that there's nothing attractive about Jesus? Whoa. You'd imagine the 20-something-year-old girls and the young adults I passed when I told them Jesus was ugly. <laughs> what? Right? No, he was not. Right? Like, like, curse it. Like, I thought I was going to get fired for that statement. And, and, and yet, what is it about us? We think, and yet it's counterintuitive. It's man's way, not God's way. And the Bible says that there was no form of comeliness that would attract you to him. He was an average Joe. He was somebody that you would see and ignore. He would pass by, and it was the presence of God on him and the words that he said that caused people to stop in their tracks. And that's why it's counterintuitive for this lowly, unattractive carpenter's son from Galilee who never traveled more than 150 miles from his home to start a worldwide movement now thousands of years with billions of followers. There has to be something more than just surface level deep. Someone say amen to that. And so I ought to think about who we listen to and why we listen to because that's, that's our tendency to move towards celebrity and fame and attractiveness on the outside rather than actually going, what is the truth? And so then Jesus comes in a counterintuitive way. I mean, how would you come to save the world? I, I tell you what, I'm not choosing as a baby, friends. How about you? You know, anybody remember babies? No? This is why God doesn't give you a memory as a baby. You poop on yourself, right? 
right? Someone changes you. You need everything. Isn't it awkward when, when you meet someone at church like, I used to change your diapers. I'm like, shut your mouth, right? It's awkward, friends. That's why God blanks your memory as a baby. And yet, and yet, and yet, that's how the king of kings would choose to come, the son of man. They didn't see that the suffering servant, the lowly one, was also the son of man. How he would conquer his enemies. How he would cause them to rue the day. How he would defeat death, hell, and the grave. And how he would liberate us from what oppresses us is counter to what we think we would choose anyway we would come back every movie every story every superhero they come in uh, we, we would like to, to be a billionaire coming out of a bat cave wouldn't we that's why he's our favorite right that's a batman reference for those of you that don't okay thank you first service they got it. and uh and yet Jesus does something different. He comes and he's born in a manger, lowly, allows people to care for him. This is when Jesus is, says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter uh, the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. What does he mean? He says that I've come through the doorway of humanity. He could have come in a different way. And there are others who are trying. But he chose the different. Why? Because he's a covenant God. He holds his covenant. He made a covenant with man. Man has no ability to keep this covenant. So God became a man that he might keep both ends of the bargain. That no one would be able to break this bargain. And that's good news. So he comes in the form of a man. He was born in the likeness of men. Although he had equality with God, equality with God was not something to be held on to, but he humbled himself, was born in the likeness of man, and he lived a selfless, obedient life unto death, death on a cross. And because of that, you hear Paul echo the words of Daniel 7. Because of his sacrifice, God the Father, the Ancient of Days, has given Jesus a name which is above all names, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the praise of God the Father. How would the Bible know thousands of years ago that Jesus would be the most famous person in human history? That's a prophecy that oftentimes we ignore. It's asinine to think that this young Galilean man would be known for millennia and that people would still be quoting him and talking about him. More books have been written, more songs sung than any other person in human history. He's the most famous, and someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, and they will see him because he will reveal, apocalypse, uncover who he actually is. Is someone say amen to that? So he comes through the form of the likeness of man. How is it this? See, in order for him to be the door, he has to come through the door and make a door. The Bible says he made a way where there seemed to be no way. So he comes in through humanity in order to save humanity. He comes through one family in order to save all families. He blesses one that he might bless. Everyone, he's entered in 
through the door. So then, Hebrews tells us, so then we don't have a great high priest who's, who's ignorant or distanced to our suffering, but he took on suffering. Why is that? So that he could make an exchange and hold a covenant because he is a God of integrity and holds to his character and he must keep his character. So then he makes the exchange. As Pastor Joe was talking about worship, there's a cost, there's a value, there's a trade, you know it. Something deep inside of you, when someone wrongs you, you know, they owe me something. And yet all of humanity has wronged and sinned against God and they owe God. So then they are bankrupt in their ability to give God anything. So God becomes a man giving us everything. Why? So he could trade with us. The king, royalty, becomes a slave. Why? So slaves could become royalty, friends. As Romans tells us this, that, that now we are made heirs and joint heirs with Christ. That he's adopted us. See, it's these passages that begin to then cause me to wrestle with my desires and the way I'm bent, what I want versus what God wants. We've talked about this is last week. We talked about this is the very idea of sin to go a different way than God's way. And that he says he's the good shepherd. And like sheep led astray, we tend to go our own way. We have to decide, do I want to follow the shepherd? Because ultimately he says this, he says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. This is what he says about us. He says, the sheep hear his voice and calls them. He calls them by name and leads them out. The sheep follow him for they know his voice and a stranger they will not follow. See, a litmus test is, who am I following? Who am I following? And ultimately, what I have to realize is that my nature leads me away from God and something has to change in me, as Romans begins to describe this, right? The thing that I want to do, that's not what I do. How about you? Two of you. Rest of you, liars, right? Right? Some of you, your theme song is Britney Spears' song, Oops, I Did It Again, right? Like, like that's just us. We, we, we just, too soon to make a Britney joke? Anyways, um, so uh, the reality is, here's what Romans begins to describe to us, and he announced there's twofold of Romans. See, let me just give you some, some pro tip Bible tools here is that the epistles, the letters, Romans and Ephesians and Galatians, these help us interpret the gospels, the stories of Jesus. The gospels help us interpret the Old Testament and what leads up to it. I cannot read them uh, without understanding that they shine light 
to the other. And so Romans begins to tell me what Jesus is speaking here. Revelation is going to tell some things about the good shepherd and what he does for us. But Romans starts by saying the announcement, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, first to the Jew, then the Greek. And the reason why he says I'm not ashamed is because he's getting ready to say things that are going to tick a lot of people off. You never met anybody like that, right? Anyways, uh, and yet he announces what he's getting ready to say, and he begins to describe in chapter one, he says, there's people who've gone astray, gone their own way, and they like it, and they want that. And then there's other people who think they're going the right way. And the Bible describes all of this as unrighteousness. Or where I'm from, that, that just ain't right, all right? All right, all right, all right. He says, it's just not right. And the Bible says the wrath of God, the judgment of God is stored up for all unrighteousness. Chapter 2 of Romans describes this, that self-righteousness is unrighteousness. Thinking that you can earn it. Thinking that you are not bankrupt. And you can give God something. So, so let's learn a lesson from that. That whatever we have, whatever we come in with, our Bible reading, our devotional reading, our, 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 our church attendance, our giving, that it measures up for nothing, friends, unless it points me to the one who has measured up, who has kept the score. He has paid the price. All of these things are meant to point me to Jesus. And the book of Romans begins to say, there is no one good, no, not one. There's only one lion, and the rest are lambs. And our lion has become a lamb. And Revelation will say, and the lamb has become their shepherd. And yet, Romans goes on to tell me that I'm trapped. I'm, 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 I'm literally tra I'm trapped in a body of death, is what Romans begins to tell me in chapter 7. You remember the, the, the prophet, Dr. Seuss? Remember that guy? Right? Right? Remember in, in the Lorax? The Lorax asks the Onceler, he says, which way does a tree fall? And the Onceler steps up with the right answer and says, a tree falls down, duh, right? And the Lorax says, no, a tree falls the way it leans, so be careful which way you lean. See, we all have a bent towards sin. We're, we're, all, we're all leaning the wrong way. And like gravity, is the false prophet, John Mayer would tell us, pulls that in. See, Romans describes it this way, and the only way I can kind of describe this, and it kind of gives us insight to the last part of chapter 9 where it says, those who were blind can now see, but those who see are now blind. What's he talking about? He says, I am the light of the world. You know, sometimes... You've been in the dark too long and the light will hurt your eyes and make you blind. It's piercing. I don't want to acknowledge that. I want to see that. I want to go back to the dark. That's what he begins to describe. And Romans describes us that the law of God, the law of God has been a schoolmaster for us. 
The law of God has been exposing and a light for us. And for some, it lights the way. And for others, it is a blinding truth that they want to ignore. And so Romans says, as they're described, you got to be morally superior and keep all the laws. He says, no, no, no. All the law did was the more and more tell you that you are a sinner and that you can't keep it. What do you mean? It, it would be as if you were in a Tesla trapped on autopilot and the steering wheel won't work. That's a scary thought for some of us in the future, right? Anyways, and you're trapped in autopilot and nothing works and you're heading towards a cliff. Now, for some, the worst part would be that big, beautiful screen in the middle would have a map on it. And it's telling you that you're going off a cliff and you can do nothing about it. That's what the law of Moses was. It's literally saying, turn around, you're going the wrong way. And they're like, I want to, but I can't because I'm trapped. As if my body is locked in autopilot towards sin, towards my way versus God's way. And then I read this and I go, man, I am, I'm doomed. Who will deliver me? from this body of death as if we need an injector button so the top opens up and like James Bond a parachute pops out and we land safely so when you think I would need an injector button that's the very idea of the resurrection that you would be lifted out of the old you that's trapped and he would make a new you Praise be to God that if Christ has been raised, we too will be raised. The old me has been put to death. Behold, all things are new. See, what it tells us is that once you didn't have an ability to follow him, you didn't have an ability to see him. You didn't have an ability to listen. But when the Holy Spirit caused your spirit to be raised, that your spirit now identifies with God's spirit, that you are his child. That's the shepherd calling you. Not that you first chose him, but that he first chose you and called your name. You know you weren't looking for him. But you heard his voice and you follow him. And now you once were blind, but now you see. You once were deaf, but now you hear. You're no longer trapped in this body of death. You actually have the ability now to follow the good shepherd, to hear his voice and follow no strangers. It's no longer that you are bound to do the wrong thing. You can follow the right thing, the sound of his voice. And it will lead you to the good shepherd. Then I want to point out a couple things. He then goes on to say this. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Who's he talking about? He's talking about he's with the Jews. First to the Jews, as Romans says, then to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. 
He says, I have more. I have, I have, I have people that you would not choose. See, that's the beautiful thing about Romans 9. It talks about God's sovereign choice. And maybe you think, well, God chooses people. What about the people he doesn't choose? Can I just tell you that God chooses people that you would never pick? He loves people you would never love. They wouldn't make your dodgeball team, let alone be invited to your house for dinner. And yet, and yet that's what Romans is. One of the most difficult passages in all of scripture, Romans 9. He says, I have mercy on whoever I want to have mercy on. I will love whoever I want to love because I'm God, you're not. You don't get to ask me questions. Because our tendency is you'd pick them. Yeah. You'd pick them, the lowly. Because you know we pick head and shoulders. We pick attractive and talented. And he picks the things that the world would not. So he became the things that the world would not pick. And he came through the door. And the lion became a lamb. And the lamb is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. Revelation. This great book that reveals to us who Jesus is. This is worthy. Are you to take the scroll, the one who could keep it, the one who could hold the bargain, the one worthy to open the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and you and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every nation. And you have made them a kingdom and the priests to our God, that they shall reign on the earth. See, God chose one man, one family, in order that he might bless all families. So that he says here that there might be one flock and one shepherd. Who are the people of God? Those who are in Christ. Who are God's chosen people? Those who hear his voice and follow him. And a stranger they will not. Why? So that he could make a family from every nation under the sun. That it would be the most diverse, beautiful family on the face of the planet. So be careful, friends. Because you wouldn't choose certain people. We tend to gravitate towards people who are like us. So then, be careful with blind patriotism that then causes me to have a mentality of me versus them and not seeing that God longs to bring a family from all nations. This is not about the nations of the earth. This is about the kingdom of God which transcends all kingdoms of this earth. Somebody say amen to that. So to be careful, I have to be careful not to find myself on this side or that side. I must listen to the voice of the Lord so that I know I'm on God's side. Someone should say amen to that. See, God transcends temporary politics, temporary discomfort. No matter what you agree with, it matters what's true. It doesn't matter what you like. It matters who he is. So you can puff out your chest and you can think you're a lion. But you're sheep. And that's good news. 
when you know who your shepherd is. For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. For whose name's sake? So you can puff out your chest? You can say you've done good deeds? No, for his name's sake. For even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. I may be a sheep, but I'm walking with a freaking lion. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. Listen, friends, if the enemy can get you to get up and fight and leave the table of the king, he's already won. So won't you sit and feast with the Lord? Be his sheep of his pasture. Feast with him. Lay down your sword. Stop fighting. He's already won. And he uses suffering and meekness, power, controlled. And he, he uses love and sacrifice to turn the world upside down. That's how he changes everything. The lamb has become the shepherd. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear. So let me charge you with this. And the 10 minutes I'm over is because Joe went 10 minutes over. I just want to point that out today. I let him know about it too. Uh, everybody blames it on me. Uh, tell him I said hello. If you're going to hear God, when he speaks, you have to understand how he talks. Let me say it again. If you want to hear the voice of God when he speaks, you got to understand how he talks. My sheep know my voice, and a stranger they will not follow. If you feel tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and every cunning scheme, if you find yourself watching the news and scrolling social media and go, I don't know what's true, then friend, you need to begin to open this book and meet with Jesus. If your time is spent somewhere else than in this book, hearing his voice, then friends, wolves have led you astray. But my sheep know my voice, a stranger they will not follow. He's the good shepherd. I'm just glad to be one of his sheep. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. We ask for your grace that you would shape us and mold us. Help us be disciplined and devoted to your word that we might find ourselves with the good shepherd. Let us follow you. Let your voice boom out like the sound of a mighty rushing wind and let it overpower every other voice that we may be able to hear you clearly. I pray that your voice would thunder in our hearts, shaking us to our core, 
that we may believe, confess, as this man did, moving you from just a good prophet, just good advice, just something to get me through my week. And we will move beyond that. And we'll say he's no liar. He's no lunatic. He's Lord. And that means of everything. And I'll follow him. And everything we say, everything we do, bring glory to God and good to this valley. And everyone said, Amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?